0: Everybody. My name's Emmy and welcome to The Mythic Couch, where we talk about myth, stories, folklore, conspiracies, and everything in between. And for the month of February, I wanted to make this episode a little more special. Because February happens to have a holiday all about love. And that's Valentine's Day. Now, being that Valentine's Day is in this month, I wanted to talk about a Roman myth. So let's get into Roman mythology. And who, do you ask, are we going to be talking about in Roman mythology? Well, none other than Cupid, of course. Our beautiful baby cherub of love. Flying around with his wings, shooting people with his arrows, having people fall madly in love with each other. So, the story that I'm going to talk about is the story of Cupid and Psyche. Now, Cupid, who is also like in the Greek version of Cupid, would be Eros. And so, and then obviously sometimes, some say that uh, the story of Cupid and Psyche is like the original Beauty and the Beast. Which I I actually like a lot, because Beauty and the Beast is a great story. But um I didn't think of that story this way at first until like I actually like reread it and I was like, "Oh snap, it really is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast." So I thought that was cool. So, now this story all begins with this king and queen, and they have birth- they gave birth to like three beautiful daughters. But out of the beautiful daughters, the youngest one, which is Psyche, is literally the most beautiful one. And she receives so much praise from the people of the kingdom, and they basically deem her the most beautiful that they've ever seen. And for lack of a better word, they are speechless. There are no words that can express her beauty, and people tell her that her beauty surpasses Venus which is the Roman goddess of love and beauty, but that would be like the equivalent of Aphrodite. The thing is, we all know with stories involving gods and goddesses that gods do not like to be one-upped. Up, one they don't like their their shine to be taken. They don't like their thunder to be taken. So every story has a hater, and poor Psyche has several haters but again there are different versions to this story. In this instance she basically has like these I want to say three haters. Two of them being her own sisters and the other one being Venus. So at this point the people begin to praise her for just being more lovely than Venus and everything and so because of this Venus is angered. And she calls upon her son Cupid, or in other terms, arrows. But Cupid, and she demands that he uses his arrows of love to have Psyche fall in love with like this, uh, like with like a human monster. So basically, someone that's like really shitty for her, you know. And so Cupid, obviously, who he obeys his mother, he does this. He goes down to the mortal realm, and he's like, okay, we're Psyche. Let me get my arrows ready. Let me sharpen my arrows. I'm about to, like, fuck her life up because my mom says to do so, and I'm right or die. But when this happens, you know, guess what? He sees her, and he's, like, blinded by her beauty. He's like, oh, wow, she's so gorgeous. Like, I really like this chick. And there's two different versions. One version is that, Arrows, he, like, Intentionally pricks himself with his own arrow to fall madly in love with her and in another there's another version which he Accidentally shoots himself. I don't know how you accidentally shoot yourself I like the version in which he just purposefully pricks himself because he's like I want to be in love with this girl Unconditionally boom I'm pricking myself, so I like that version better of course the different versions and so from the moment that this happens, he becomes like super thirsty for Psyche. He's like, he's all about Psyche. His whole world revolves around Psyche because he's, and he becomes madly in love with her, right? Now, during this time, during the same time, the king and the queen, they realize that like, they've angered the gods. And being that, you know, Psyche has basically become the baddest bitch and is better than venus and venus cannot stomach this and she's all tight and everything and the king and the queen you know people She st- they start to realize that like i think their other two daughters they were able to find um they were able to be married with no problems But it's crazy because even though their other daughters are beautiful, Psyche is literally more beautiful than them, and she has no suitors. Like, no one is willing to step up to the plate and marry this girl because she angered Venus. She angered the god, a god. And so they're like, um, I can't fuck with that. Um, I want my life to be blessed and and fruitful, and I can't. Be I can't have a blessed and fruitful life if my wife is public enemy number one to a god. So, I'm good. So, no one's marrying her. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so, and so. seeing this, the king and the queen, they go to the, like, temple of Apollo. And they try to see what they can do, you know, because obviously... People are worshiping Psyche, and there's versions of this like that they're, they're worshiping Psyche and they're abandoning, like, the temple of Venus. And they, they're no longer worshiping her, they're no longer offering her, th- like, offering her offerings and sacrifices and all this stuff. And She's salty and everything. Venus is super salty because of this, right? So she's like, fuck this, and everything is just going wrong for them. And obviously the king has to go, he has to seek, you know, counsel and guidance at the Temple of Apollo. So he goes there and he speaks with the oracle at the Temple of Apollo. And he tells her that the reason why Psyche is having no suitors is because she has a different path for her. So she has a different destiny in general. Her destiny does not involve her marrying these basic-ass dudes. Because she's not a basic-ass chick. So, obviously, she has to marry some other freaking... She has a whole other destiny ahead of her. And this destiny is uh, it's a little difficult, honestly, to fathom because... It's a little, it's sad, because if it was me and I was in her position, I'm like, wow, I didn't even ask to be beautiful. I'm actually a really good person, and I don't, you know, nobody wants to be with me. People hating on me, like, that's just a. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other problems happening, but in this instance, in this time frame, it is affecting her, because it's affecting her kingdom, it's affecting, um, It's affecting her family because, you know, they feel because they are angered at the gods. They're not being blessed and stuff. So, and they're king and queen and they have the kingdom to run. So they have to do what they have to do at this point. And so the Oracle basically tells them that she's destined to wed a beast-like evil worse than anything. Right? And there's actually a quote. So there's a quote that says, The virgin is destined for the bride of no mortal lover. And it's like a serpent-like winged creature. Um, This future husband is a monster that no woman or man can resist. And that the monster will be found on the top of a mountain, right? And so some sources that I have say that that the king abandoned his daughter there. But then other sources state that, you know, she, because... Of the mistake that's been happening with her being worshipped instead of Venus. She kind of of takes that responsibility upon herself. And she goes herself to the mountaintop to await her fate. You know? She's a big girl. She went up there like a boss bitch. Like she is. She's like, yo, I didn't ask for this. But my family is going through some strife. And I need to fix this. So I'm going to go to this mountaintop. Like a big girl that I am. And I'm going to take it like a champion. I'm going to take an L for the team. Because (laughs) the kingdom needs to keep going. So that's what she did, right? So either way, she basically went on top of the mountain. And she waited for her fate, right? And then Zephyr. So Zephyr is basically, it's like these mystical, mythical winds. And so this was the west wind. And they lift her up and takes her to a golden palace okay now when she arrives there she hears the a voice like some sort of voice from above i don't know where but remember her name is psyche so i feel like this was i guess like her intuition or her like her psychic voice or whatever but like a voice tells her to get comfortable while at the palace so that's what she does she becomes she becomes more comfortable she becomes more loose And she is seeing everything for what it is. She hears this music. She sees the abundance of food that's in front of her. And there are servants that are serving her. But she can't see any of them. So everyone is invisible. She hears music. She she sees food being passed here and there. She's eating. She's having a great time. She's comfortable because the voice in her head told her to be comfortable. So she was very comfortable. And so she eventually is led to... A bedroom, right? She was at first apprehensive. She's like, I don't know what's on the other side of the door. Because she's obviously, she was taken to be to her husband. So now she's with her husband. Obviously, she's like, okay, I'm at this palace. Apparently, my husband has a palace. All right. And so she goes to the palace. And the voice again tells her that everything's going to be fine. And she should go inside the bedroom, right? She goes inside the bedroom. Everything is pitch black. She cannot see anything. She can't see, like... Her nose in front of her face. That's how dark it is, right? And so she's worried. She's like, oh my God, this room is so dark. And then all of a sudden she feels someone like touching her and everything like grab, like, you know, she feels someone. And when she feels this person, she's like kind of weird because it's not serpent like. It doesn't feel like this monstrous being. You know, when you think of a monster, you would feel monsterish type of body would feel like skin would be like all scaly and stuff especially if your serpent like there's it has wings apparently I don't she didn't feel no wings I'm sure she's in her mind I don't feel no wings I see dark I'm in this room I don't feel no wings I don't feel no scales there's no snake like body touching me it's like a nice fleshy toned body so she's like okay and so she's she's feeling her new husband out you know And at this point, they are consummating the marriage. So, they have sex. So, they consummate the marriage. They have sex. They get it on. And this happens frequently. This happens every night. She's now living at the palace. This is her home. She was taken to a palace that's made of gold, where she's served by servants, living the lavish life. And her husband is every night coming to her and basically... Giving her all types of loving every night, but she can never see him. That's the one thing that her husband, the the person that was in that room, told her, "You will never know what I look like." And so she accepts this, and then with time, she like looks forward to him coming and visiting and stuff, and you know she's with him all night and everything. They make they they make love, but then he has to leave at sunrise. That's like how it works. So eventually. Through this, she ends up pregnant, right? And during this time, uh, she wants to visit her sisters. She missed her sisters. Like, there's other stories, other sources saying that the sisters are looking for her. And eventually, like, Cupid or, like, slash Eros tells um, the West Wing to, like, bring her up, the Golden Palace, so that she could visit her sister. So they visit her sister, and they're so happy and everything. But then her sisters, now I'm talking about the the other two haters... Here, here is where this conversation is going now. We're going to be talking about the other two haters. So her two sisters, at first they're extremely ecstatic because they haven't, they don't know what happened to their sister. Their sister was lost. Remember, they're all princesses. Their parents are king and queens. And they're all three princesses. So the third princess, which is the youngest princess, is missing. So they're like, yo, where's my sister? I got married. You got married. And they're all unnamed, by the way. Like I looked... Various times, like for different sources, for the name of the king, the queen, the sisters, everything is unnamed. They don't have names, but there's a name for Psyche. So I don't know how that works. Sometimes things, you know, get lost in translation. So I figure this is one of the situations that the names just didn't, wasn't really important. It wasn't applicable because it wasn't really the moral of the story that's being told. So the two unnamed sisters, I'm gonna call her Hater One and Hater Two, right? They are happy because they see Psyche and they're extremely ecstatic, but then when they realize that she's living such a lavish life and that she's like, Oh my god, who the F this bitch thinks she is? Like who does this girl think she is? Like she's over here lost and but she's not even lost. She's living the lap of luxury. And then they're tight because they're too mar- because the two sisters are married, but they're like miserable in their marriage. And they're basically treated like common like common maids. I'm sure that's not the exact case that they're the two sisters, Hater One and Hater Two, are treated like fucking handmaids, but they are married. I'm sure they married noblemen or some sort of a prince or some royal figure, but you know how people in royalty are. Or at least some people who are royal tend to be a little bit conceited and shit. So they probably really conceited and have a bunch of lovers and they just had these princesses as like these trophy wives. But they're probably super miserable and they're probably not as hot as Cupid, you know. So they see this and they're super jealous and everything. And and then eventually after she feeds them, after she treats them well, after she... Gives them gifts and everything. They they start asking her who her husband is, and she, cause she doesn't know who her husband is, but she doesn't want to tell her sisters that I don't know who my husband is, and she also doesn't want to tell them that like you know I'm sorry, but like I was given to this serpent-like creature, but like the person that she's laying with, is like a serpent-like creature. That's why she's like she's psyche is also internally confused, and she doesn't want to really answer these questions yet because she doesn't even have the answers from herself. So at this point, she like, okay, well, here's the visit's over. Here's some gifts. Here's some food. Have some fun. Thank you for visiting. And she kind of rushes them along and tells Zephyr to take them down. And so her sisters become, like, they're jealous about that, and they don't like that either. They're like, who the fuck this bitch thinks she is rushing us, you know, thinking that she's like we're peasants and everything. She thinks she's better than us. And then they kind of devise a plan to, like, kind of, like, fuck this all up for her. And so eventually this happens. Cupid doesn't really like Psyche's sisters, um, and he's voiced this to her numerous times, and he tells Psyche that her sisters are trying to set her up. But, like, Psyche, I guess she's, like, ignorant. She's not really understanding it, and she's thinking in terms of, like, those are my sisters, you know? But, you know, that's what happens. Eventually, the sisters visit again, right? And they tell her that they heard her husband is like a snake-like beast and he's keeping her alive, giving her a child and and fattening her up so that they, so that the snake-like beast can devour her and her unborn child. And they need to devise a plan. She should actually kill the beast before the beast kills her. And then they have this, dagger now some sources state that she found a dagger other sources state that her sister gave her the dagger so psyche has this in her mind you know again she like rushes them out but that kind of stays in her mind she's like what if this is a trap what if he's trying to kill me you know what if this that's what this that's what this is it's like you know if you think about it like oh my god i'm supposed to i'm i was supposed to have married this this serpent like evil the things that, something that gods and men fear, right? And I'm living in this lap of luxury, eating, pregnant, super happy. You know what? You're right. He's trying to eat me. He's trying to trick me. He's trying to make me comfortable. And then when I'm comfortable, when I have my guard down, he's going to kill me. So I figured that's where where Psyche's mindset went. And um, that night, she decides to take a oil lamp, Right, and she goes into the room to kind of finally see who her husband is. When she goes to the room, she does realize and she sees that her husband is not this serpent like winged creature, her husband is freaking Cupid, this fine ass winged, gorgeous god Cupid. Can you, like she's like, what? And then She accidentally, I guess, pricks herself with the golden, with with the arrow. And when this happens, she looks at her husband and she falls madly in love with him. Like, to the point where she's, like, super thirsty. And so she bends over on the bed. Because he's lying down sleeping. She sees him lying down sleeping. That's when she, like, sees... That's when she realizes she's in love with him. So she goes, bends over, and basically tries to give him a bunch of kisses and everything. But because she has this oil lamp, the oil spills on him, on his shoulder, and burns him horribly. So he wakes up and he sees Psyche with the light that he sees her... With a dagger. And because of this, he's like, oh my God, you're trying to kill me. And obviously, he's he's super pissed off. You know, he's like, oh, you're trying to kill me. And he told her that this would happen. And then he also told her, like, she obviously tries to grab him and be like, no, no, I love you. But then he tells her, there's different versions of this, obviously. And there's different sources. Um, some sources cite that he states that you can never love a human can never love a god as much as a god loves a human. Like, basically, he's saying that the way a god loves is something that surpasses the way a human loves. A human isn't incapable of that love. And so... And then she, he's also pissed off. He goes, because of her betrayal, he was going to replace Psyche with one of her hater-ass sisters. Right? And... I guess he was mad that he felt some type of way. He told her that. That he was going to go get to be with one of his sisters and replace her. But that didn't, that's not what happened. And basically she goes to her sisters and tells her what happened. And she tells her that the plan didn't work out. Because when she went to see this serpent-like creature, it wasn't a serpent-like creature. It was actually Cupid. And because of this, Cupid was mad at her and told her that she was going to replace her with one of her sisters. Mind you, I just said that Cupid doesn't like his, um, her sisters because he was telling Psyche that they're making these traps for her and plans for her, but she didn't listen. So these freaking thoughty bitches decide to, instead of console their sister, they're like, they decide to go to the top of this motherfreaking mountain, right? And offer themselves as a replacement for their sister Psyche. And then when they offer themselves, Zypher, the the West Wind, basically rips them rips them to shreds. So they die. They both die. And so, you know, Psyche continues, and she's like, "Oh my God!" I think there's different versions where she's wandering the world and the Earth, trying to figure out what's gonna happen because she's she's looking for her husband. She can't find her husband. Obviously, as what we know from some sources, her husband Cupid went to um, Venus's temple to be healed and when she found out what happened she was pissed because she told Cupid that she had to marry that to to make Psyche marry someone else not for her son to marry that girl it's like I told you to take care of her for me and have her marry some hideous beast because this freaking bitch thinks that she's better than me and I'm the baddest bitch That's how I would have envisioned Psyche talking. And then Cupid is like, but I married her. Like, I love her. And yes, I got burned, but I love her. So eventually, you know, Venus... I guess Psyche realizes that she has to, like, worship Venus and see what, you know, what can be done. And Venus... Tells her that, you know, she can marry her son, but she would have to complete these three impossible tasks. And honestly, the tasks, if you look them up and everything, they're kind of, they kind of, they kind of are ridiculous. But, you know, it's Roman Greek mythology. So they're, you know, tasks, they're all type of ridiculous stories. But the first task is that she has to sort out... And separate piles of mixed grains now these grains contain poppy seeds lentil barley chickpeas regular beans and other mixed wheat right so she had to basically sort them out and reorder them by dawn this was an impossible task and she's like there's no way I'm gonna be able to do this and she's crying she's being consoled and everything like that and then check this out an aunt pities her I'm not like an ant, not like her mother's sister. I'm talking about a bug, an ant. They see her, the ant sees her and pities her and assists her. And they basically sort out everything and reorganize all the grains and put them to the correct designated spots. So then now there are different piles. The beans are with the beans. The lentils are with the lentils. The chickpeas are with the chickpeas. Everything is all organized. And when Venus comes back... She's obviously furious because she, she's like, this fucking bitch completed an impossible task? Are you kidding me? I bet. It's time for task number two. So the second task was that she wanted her to go across the river and collect golden wool. Now, this wool is from a sheep that is a very, very violent sheep. It's a man-killing sheep. It is known for disemboweling men and ripping them up. So she goes there and she's obviously like, oh, my God, there's like no way I'm going to be able to collect this wool. And then there's kind of like River Nymph tells her a way to collect the wool without actually getting killed. And so she goes, and he's like, yo, collect the wool from these briars and these briars are uh, like basically you think of a bush and these bushes of like sticks and everything because the sheep walks down and its wool gets caught on that on that like on these sticks or on these briars so all she has to do is just pick them from the freaking bushes all the wool and then present them so that's what she did she basically went on all over the bushes collecting all these freaking dead wool like all these wool from the sheep then when they when they walk past and she presents it to venus so that she can have this fleece and, cre- and make this whatever garment she wants to freaking make. Some say that it's a, a skirt. Some say something else. The point is, she is presenting her with this fleece. So that fucking Venus can make a garment for herself. Made of golden fleece. Right? Bougie as fuck. But whatever. So she's like, she goes, okay. You passed the, ta- the first task. And you passed the second task. But there's a third task and the third task I feel like is something it was much harder than the first two tasks the third task is the final task and basically Venus sets her on to a quest in the underworld and she basically wants her to collect a drop of beauty from Persephone. now in Roman mythology Persephone is the queen of the underworld in Greek mythology Persephone is the queen of the underworld but of course there's an overlap between roman and greek mythology so persephone is persepina persepina is persephone at this point so she sets her on to this quest but before she goes on to this quest there's the ver there's like a couple versions one version is that she hears a voice tells tell her before she goes into this quest she should never go to the underworld empty-handed she should go with coins, and she should go with cakes, these barley cakes. Um, that's one version. The second version is that because she had to go to the underworld and do these tasks, she felt like she, she, was, she went into a despair because she felt there was no way she was going to be able to complete this mission and go into the underworld because there's so many, like, it's the underworld. You're going to die. Once you go into the underworld, kind of no way back. It's like a quest of death. But then, she went to a tower to throw herself off the tower and commit suicide. But the tower told her... A tower, yes, I'm not exaggerating. A fucking building. You know, goes into a speech and tells her, obviously, to not commit suicide. And that she should go to the underworld, but to never go empty-handed. And she should bring cakes and two coins. And the two coins are basically for her to pay... The ferryman of the underworld that goes by the name of Karen. Not to be confused with our modern day Karens, it's Karon, which is a C H A R O N. Anyways, Psyche is to use the two coins to pay the ferryman so that he can essentially take her across the river Styx. And then also, the cakes are treats for Cerberus, which is a three headed hound dog that you see, like, you know, you know like in. In that Disney movie where Hades throws a piece of steak to this three-headed dog, that dog is Severus. At this point in her quest, Psyche has completed the two requirements that's necessary for her in order to get through the underworld safely. And then once she gets to Persepina, Persepina places beauty, or a drop of beauty, into the box, right? And so Psyche brings the box back up to the mortal realm, and is back to Venus's palace. Psyche is obviously, mind you, throughout this whole task, Psyche is pregnant. Because she was pregnant before um, her sisters visited. So she's pregnant. And she's doing all these fucking tasks because her sisters got into her fucking head and she ended up fucking trying to kill her fucking... Uh, her. God-like her god-husband, Cupid, slash Eros, by, like, jumping through fucking hoops and completing these ridiculous tasks. And all this is basically for her to prove that she loves her husband, the god Cupid, Cupid. So, yeah, so basically she goes to Venus's palace and instead of presenting the fucking box to Venus, she decides to open the box because she was hoping that Venus would give her some beauty because she's also very tired from her trip and, you know, from her going to the underworld and everything. And then the reason why Venus even asked for a drop of beauty from Persapina is because she's been working very hard to heal her son. Because I guess if a god is, is hurt or something, they need a god to heal them or something. But she basically wasted her her energy and her beauty on healing her son. So she needed this extra bump of beauty from Persepina. Who, in hindsight, if you look at the story between Persepina and, and Venus or, in the Greek version, Persephone and Aphrodite, there's a little bit of, like, a tension between them because they kind of, like, are competitors for beauty because Persephone is supposedly very, very beautiful and has been told that she was more beautiful than Aphrodite from Hades. Hades says that she's more beautiful than Aphrodite. So that's why there's always been this type of... uh rivalry between these two goddesses and there must be some truth to it if Aphrodite or Venus is asking for a drop of beauty from Persepina slash Persephone you know there's got to be some truth to it that she feels that you know your drop of beauty will help me it's 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 sufficient for me so touche to that you know At least Persephone could, like, relish in that. That's what I'd say. But anywho, when Psyche does open the box, she sees that the box is not filled with beauty. So Persephone, or Persepina, did a big fuck you to... I would say a big fuck you to Venus, but also a big fuck you to Psyche, because when she opens the box, it's not filled with beauty at all. It's filled with sleep. So... When she opens the box and sleep consumes her, she becomes comatose. She is in a sleep which cannot be awakened. After, after this, Cupid is completely healed. He flies down, sees her on a road on, in, the, in the front of the palace, pregnant, sleep, freaking tired from doing all these fucking tasks to prove his, her undying love to Cupid. And he's like, I love her. And I want to be with her, and he he like kind of like takes the sleep away from her, or like kind of siphons the sleep away from her and places it back into the box. And they're like, oh, I love you, and all lovey dovey and everything as well. And then, but then there's a version in which they're all together and everything. But apparently, there's this I like to call it a God Court, in which Cupid states his case. Against his mother, Venus, and basically tells her to fuck off, mind her own business. Confesses his undying love for Psyche and how he wants to be with only her and how she has completed all these things in order to prove that she's worthy of being married to a god. Because another thing, gods can lay with different women, mortal women, but that doesn't necessarily... I don't think they can actually marry them. They can just be with them and they can have them as, what do you call them, concubines, cons- consorts or whatever. Um, but I don't think they can actually marry them. I'm not sure, but I mean, I guess I guess, then they could. Who the fuck's going to tell them they can't? You know, they're God. They can marry and be with whoever the fuck they want. But he wants to state a case for this. So, I know there's Hermes is there and Zeus is there. Like I said, this... Roman and Greek mythology interlap with each other. So sometimes they have these gods mixed with different gods, and I'm like, it's honestly the same thing. So Hermes is there, and they decide that he's right. They tell tell Venus to fuck off, mind her own business, and her her son, Cupid, marry whoever the fuck he wants to marry. And they give Psyche ambrosia. And Ambrosia is this I guess this liquid or something or this elixir which makes humans immortal. It's an immortal elixir. She has she takes the ambrosia, she becomes a goddess, a full-fledged goddess. Now, she be and she becomes basically the goddess of soul because psyche in Greek is literally like soul, right? And soon after she gives birth to her daughter, which is, um... Hadoni. And that is basically the goddess of pleasure. Now, my lovely listeners, this concludes the story of Cupid and Psyche for this Valentine's season. And with them all together, you know, Cupid, the god of love and desire, Psyche the goddess of soul, and Hedoni, the goddess of pleasure. All those three work together to give everyone in this world love, pleasure, and soul. That's what you need for Valentine's Day, right? So hopefully this story gives a little enlightenment on the origin of everything that Valentine's Day represents, at least in terms of Greek and Roman mythology. Now, I hope that you enjoyed this first episode of my new podcast, The Mythic Couch, and that you enjoyed the story of Cupid and Psyche. Again, I know that I must have made a ton of mistakes while recording this podcast, but again, I ask for patience because it is a learning process, but I'm super excited and eager to get started on this journey with you guys. And hopefully, we will have a bunch of fun and learn new and interesting things. Now it's time to end this episode of the Mythic Couch. Once again, my name is Emmy, and until next time, stay mythical. Bye.